dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. In our life as leaders, a lot of times we feel like difficulty and trial are signs of failure. But in the life of our Lord, his greatest victory on the cross was accompanied by difficulties, trials, and seeming defeats. Let's find out what the Bible teaches us about the truth of leadership. Hey everybody, it's great to be with you again. Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the minds of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, we, you know, when we're working here, uh, this ministry, the St. John Institute, forming you in your leadership and trying to inspire you to dare great things, there's something that we just have to address. A lot of us who are leaders and who are engaged in leadership are distressed by the simple fact that it seems like leadership is so dang hard. I mean, let's just be honest. There's a reason why there are so few people who really take the helm and try to make things happen. I think the number one reason is people are afraid of failure. We're afraid that if we actually try, we're going to fail. And why is that so difficult? Because obviously failure is a bad thing, but I would like to say it's even more than that. I bet if I were to take a poll of those who are sitting here, the number of you who are afraid of failure is actually fewer than the number of you who are just afraid of it being so hard. I mean, biologically, I think that just we're just wired to constantly evaluate, is the pain worth the gain, right? So if the pain is not going to be worth the gain to us, well, then we're not going to endure it. It's just this uh, fundamental feature of survival. We only have so much energy, so many resources to spend. Should I be doing it in this or that endeavor? And so what happens is that we, we end up having a period of our life, usually when we're young, in our 20s and in our 30s, where we dare great things. And we head off and it's the time of the great exploits. And we try to make things happen and try to make this world a better place. And then we end up petering it off and by the times we're in our mid 40s and then to our 50s we're already trying to slide into home base into our 60s where we can vacation and enjoy a little bit of the fruit of everything that we really tried so hard to do in our 20s and 30s and I don't think there's anything wrong with this progression I think it's natural it's it's a fine thing except here in the sense that if we allow ourselves to constantly compute 
based on pain and gain in every aspect of our lives, the most essential and important aspects of the transformation of our culture will be left without the leaders needed to bring that transformation to bear. And this would be a really sad thing. I think when it comes to business and it comes to making a living, yes, we definitely have to make that, con that, that computation, right? But when it comes to taking care of the poor, taking care of the widow, taking care of the orphan, teaching the ignorant, fighting for values and for morality, uh, staffing the, the various endeavors that need that leadership so desperately there, I, I think that the calculation needs to be always, of course, done, but done at a different, different pace because we're not moved by the motivations of this world. We're moved by faith and a faith infused by the divine love of God. And that means that our lives need to be engaged in a leadership that's fueled by that divine love. Are your lives fueled by divine love? Are you motivated and pushed by the love that pushed the Son of God onto this earth in order to save this broken world? I mean, or is your life motivated by the calculation of pain versus gain that's purely worldly? I mean, just to put it honestly, as if like what your life was all about was what this world said it was all about. And this world says it's all about a happy retirement. <laughs> and have a retirement without grandkids that cause messes in the house, you know, and without, you know, disease or malady. And, you know, as you travel someplace, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, it's a great thing to travel. I've been to 29 countries, okay, in my life. I've been to all 50 states. I think traveling is just a terrific thing. But having traveled at the same time, I'd like to say that, you know, it's much more important to stay at home in the sense that there's a greater life that we can live with God and with faith and with our families and in our homes than we can find by, well, drinking or by traveling or by buying a new pool table or by buying, you know, some sort of fancy boat and, and driving it around on the water. What the world defines as, as success, I want you to put in your mind, does your vision of success match that of the world or does it match that of Jesus Christ? Because he put the level of success at the fruitfulness of your love. How much your spirit will impact the spirits of others to broaden them and open them so that they stretch and produce the greatness that God came to this earth in order to find. Think about that. How do you vision what true success is for you? How do you measure it? How do you define it? Because if you define it wrongly, in the end, you're not going to be successful no matter what you think. How does God look at it? He looks at it as a man hanging upon the cross. And that's where I think our leadership needs to go as well. If I'm afraid of the cross and afraid of the sorrow, I won't give the greatness that God wants to give to this world through the cross and through the sorrow. And I mean that. I want to look at that with you in this Gospel of St. Mark chapter 14 to see all the places in the life of Christ where sorrow and pain actually become the language of victory and love. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. 
and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Let's take a look, for example, at all the places in the life of Christ, especially in Mark 14, where we're able to see that the pain of a leader is not a sign of failure. I want to underline this time and time again for us because I think that when we're honest about it, one of the biggest obstacles to our own acceptance of the roles and responsibilities that God has given us is ourselves. I mean, we kind of knock ourselves out of the fight more than anyone else. I mean, just if we're just honest about it, it's so hard for us to let go and say, you know what, it's going to be okay. I might not be perfect, but I believe in a God who is, and therefore I'm going to keep on fighting. For so many of us, when the, the going gets tough, we say that we're the problem and we just need to get out. And I think that, you know, on the one hand, it totally makes sense. On the one hand, we can understand, et cetera. But isn't there, if we look at our heart, something deep down inside that's actually also just quitting? I mean, in other words, we're able to say that, yeah, there are problems and I probably am the source, source of them. What if you were the source of them? I mean, what if actually you were imperfect? <laughs> it, you know, what if actually, in fact, the reason why there were difficulties is you? Does that give you the right to stop? If you stop in your leadership, who will take over? Anybody? And if the answer is no, and frankly, most of the time it is no, well then how in good conscience can we allow that to happen? Because in the end, when, when I look at my God, I'm just amazed at how he chooses flawed instruments all the time. Take, for example, Simon Peter. He was a great fisherman. There he was, fishing away, doing a great job. And Jesus is like, I want you to be a shepherd. Well, he's like, hang on, I'm a fisherman. I know, but now you're going to be the shepherd. Feed my sheep. <laughs> and he's, I'm a fisherman. You don't understand. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. I don't need you to be qualified for me to call you. I'm going to give you the qualities that you need because you're following me. You follow me as you are, and I will give you the strength that you need to follow me. You step up and you make that move forward because I've called you into it. I love to see that because when you look, for example, the life of Simon Peter, he's one of the apostles that we feel so close to because he seems to always be putting his foot in his mouth. He seems to be very imperfect. But let's remember that this very imperfect apostle who's always putting his foot in his mouth is the prince of the apostles and the foundation of the church of Christ. Could Christ build a church on a cracked foundation? You bet he could. Because he'll make that foundation whole by his grace. And what he asks from us is to shoulder the burden of a leadership that sometimes is messy. I'll give you an example. Simon Peter, we were talking about him a little bit earlier, right? We mentioned him. Well, in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, you have Simon Peter full of faults and failures to the point where St. Paul will even say that he opposed Peter to his face. It's in a letter to the Galatians where Peter was saying on the one hand that it was okay for people to follow the Lord in, and not be circumcised, but then at the same time, he was 
you know, eating with those and he was acting as if it wasn't the case. So he was speaking out of both sides of his mouth and St. Paul confronts him to his face. I mean, like talk about messy. He's still the Pope. You think that he would just say, oh, this is all just too much. Not only am I flawed, but then think about all the struggles I have. I've got persecution happening to my church. James, right? And the apostle James is put to death by the sword. Stephen is stoned. It's not like Peter's, you know, glorious uh, preaching of the return of Christ just was met by the return of Christ. In fact, Peter himself was to die and to die upside down. And, and the, the leadership that he had for his church was full of, of struggles. That doesn't mean that he quit. And it mustn't mean that you quit either. And that's just Peter. I mean, if we, if we looked at the rest of the church's history, we'd find the same thing repeated again and again and again. The great things that were done were done with flawed vessels and with mistakes and with trials and with difficulty. As a matter of fact, you kind of wonder, have there been any great things that have been accomplished just purely easily? Uh, I, I think of that saying that one time a person told me I was having a really tough time and, uh, and, and this woman with a lot of wisdom looked at me and said, Father Nathan, no one looks good on wood. And I thought that was really good. The Christians got to be able to carry the cross and be messy because in the end, the goal of our lives is not to live them perfectly or to live them in a way that's all in order. The goal of our lives is love. And sometimes, frankly, love is messy. And if we're going to be leaders that impact the culture in our families, and if we're going to be leaders that impact the culture in our workplaces, well, then maybe it's going to be messy. The, the, the point is not that it's messy. The point is that it's, it's driven and that we have this point that we're going towards. What this world needs are men and women who are willing to bear that cross of a lack of perfection and are willing to bear the cross of the things going against them who are willing to be expect the unexpected and the, the expected that they expect or is actually everything that could go wrong and who smile at it and say, and yet I'm going forward anyway. Why? Because of love. This is really, I think, uh, one of the messages where, where the monastic life actually has a lot to say to the business world. And, and that's that the love that, that the monk has, that the priest has, that we have deep down inside of our souls in, in, in when we're in front of the tabernacle that the Christian has when he's in front of the tabernacle or when she's facing a big decision and she decides to plunge ahead, that love makes the world go round. That love is what forges the leader. And so when I meet leaders who are like, I just don't know about religion. I don't know why, I, you know, people get so excited about God or, you know, you just kind of smile and you're like, your leadership is going to be a lot less powerful than it could be because the leadership of the saint, the leadership of the follower of Christ goes so deep that it allows us to even go beyond our own comfort levels and our own comfort levels, not just in terms of ease, but our comfort levels in terms of perfection or what we think it needs to be. We are responding to the thirst of Jesus Christ on the cross to do something for our brothers and sisters in need. 
to do something to change this world for the better, to do something to fight against the kingdom of darkness. It's, it's like maybe we don't have to do everything. Maybe we just have to do something. And as soon as we start to do that, well, there's this, there's this determination inside of us that makes us someone that we want to follow, someone that the world wants to follow. And that's what, that's what we need today. So let, let's focus ourselves in here, right? We're looking at the gospel of Mark and I'm just looking at Mark, just Mark 14. Let's look at everything that Jesus was, was thrown against Jesus and let's see what he did to see if he quit, right? Let's see if he just backed out. Mark 14, this is just Mark 14. You could look at the other synoptics, find more details. You could look at the rest of the gospel, just Mark 14, look at this. At the first, it starts off verse one. And it says, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. <laughs> Jiminy Christmas, right? You think, that, you think that your life is tough? Are people trying to arrest you to kill you? But Jesus Christ was faced with people who were trying to arrest him to kill him. That was the only way they could stop him. That means that the people that were doing this were weaker than him. It wasn't even like, oh, they, and there were these strong foes and maybe he should die. No, these were men who didn't have what he had. He was succeeding and he was doing great things and they wanted to stop him out of jealousy, out of pride and out of smallness of heart. I mean, what opposition? It's the worst kind. It's not even from a noble foe. It's from an ignoble foe. And there he was with his life in jeopardy. And, and, and then you go right on. A woman comes, uh, Mary Magdalene here, verse, this is chapter 14, verses 3 through 7. She gives him some, a wonderful act of homage and, and with an oil alabaster uh, flask, pours pure nard over his feet. And what happens? His own apostle says that he's not worthy of that. I mean... This is one of his 12, and he knows he's going to his death. This woman knows he's going to his death. She anoints him for his burial, and the, his, own, the own, his own man, whom he relied on and whom he gave his secrets to, he criticizes her because he's greedy. This is opposition even from his band, chosen band of friends. And, and we're going to see even more. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. And so as, if we keep looking at Mark chapter 14, just to see in the life of Christ, the opposition that he faced in, in his own life, we can understand that maybe facing opposition and hardship isn't necessarily a sign that we're failing in our leadership. Maybe it's just the price that we pay for doing something great for God and for our, our fellow human beings. Because we saw at the very, very beginning here, he's, his whole thing, this is John 14, 1 and 2, you've got the, the chief priests and the scribes seeking to arrest him and to kill him. So he's got opposition on the outside. And then the, the camera pans, so to speak, right, to John 14, 3 through 9. And here you've got his opposition on his inside. His, his, one of his chosen disciples criticizing him for, for allowing this woman to give him an act of love that was costly and that was true. 
And then, of course, that same person here in verse 10, it, it reveals that Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest to betray him to them. So now you've got a forging from the outside and the inside so that the outside persecution by the chief priests and the scribes can actually penetrate into the inside. You've got Christ vulnerable because he trusted his friends. It's amazing, right? So, so many of us, we don't want that. We trust our coworkers. We trust the people around us. And because of that, we end up getting spiked through the heart. So again, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you get betrayed? I, if you don't have a love in your life that's greater than the pain of betrayal, well, your leadership's not going to be as full and as resounding as it needs to be. Wouldn't it be beautiful to have, by the grace of God and by his power, a love in your life that was greater even than betrayal? This is the love of Christ. This is the love of the Christian. To be able to say, I might be betrayed in what's going to go, and go on, but because of Christ, I will have strength to carry that pain in my soul. Ah, that's a lion right there. And that's the type of leadership Christ is calling you into. My children might let me down. Matter of fact, my children will let me down. My spouse might let me down. Matter of fact, my spouse will let me down. I don't, it does not stop. I do not stop because of the, 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 the trials that are in front of me. I do not stop. I'm here on a mission from God and empowered by his grace. But my friends, rejoice that you are a Christian and rejoice that this has been given to you. You've been given an exultant call, an upward call in Christ Jesus that's stronger even than the world. And what's the price to pay for that victory? Total reliance on Christ. Total surrender to his love. Believe. Trust. Be still and receive. It's just beautiful. Because if you go on again, now at, at verse, uh, chapter 14 Verses 12, this is time, verses 12 to 20. Now the betrayer moves in. Jesus said, it is one of the 12, the one dipping the bread in the dish with me for the Son of Man goes as written of him. He, he says, I even know who the betrayer is, the one who is eating with me, verse 18. And then he gives his, his last supper. And right away, verse 26, Peter denies him. So not only is he betrayed by Judas in chapter 14, we're going to see that verses 43 to 50, but he's actually, Peter even denies him and denies him not once, not twice, but three times. I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Mark 14, 30. Goes out to Gethsemane. So just if you think that that's bad, so you got the outer circle, the scribes and the Pharisees, the inner circle, Judas, the innermost circle, Peter. Remember, if you look at the Gospels, you'll see that there's five circles around Christ. You have the circle of the world, then the circle of the disciples, then the circle of the apostles, then the circle of the inner circle of the apostles, which is a circle of the three, and then you have Christ himself. So you have like these different concentric circles around you. And each one of them fails him, right? So here you have, and then what happens? Look at him himself. He went to a place called Gethsemane, told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with them Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Emotional upheaval in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, a, it's a word of hope for so many people that suffer from anxiety, right? 
or you, you just suffer from a constant mood swing or you suffer from woundedness and you say, I'm all alone and because I suffer this, there's no way I can carry the cross of leadership. And here you have your leader alone in the garden and he says, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Sorrow, the anxiety of Christ, the sorrow of his soul was so profound that he said it could even cause his death to die of sorrow. That's how profound he was. And he's there all by himself. He says, please stay here and watch. And he came and found them sleeping, verse 37. And he says, please wake up. Could you not pray that you may not enter into temptation? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed. And again, the disciples were very heavy and he found them sleeping again. Verse 40. And so finally, all alone, he's betrayed. And that's just, and then he keeps going through Mark 14. He goes in front of the council where he's judged, even though he's innocent. And he carries the, uh, the, the verdict of an innocent man who's found guilty. And then he goes, I mean, like, this it just keeps getting worse and worse. He gets struck. His, he, the high priest tears his garments in front of him. I mean, it, there's just so much opposition. Now, where do we see Christ turning to his Father in heaven? And we also never see Christ turning away from the goal. My friends, there are some of you today who are carrying that cross. And you're trying so hard to be the good dad. You're trying so hard to be a great grandmother to your children. You're out there and you're exposed and you're vulnerable and it just, you get met with rejection. You get met with failure. You get met with ridicule for trying to do the right thing by the very people whom you love. The very people whom you serve. It's like you're the Savior on the cross and your arms are outstretched in love and you meet instead the tip of a spear going right for your heart. Do not be afraid. Take comfort and do not quit. The last thing that we need is to forsake the post where Jesus Christ put us because it's a post that's difficult and hard. When we see every day our leader leading us forth, hanging upon the cross. And it's on that cross that is his victory because on that cross, Jesus Christ pierces through the veil and rests in the bosom of the Father. And it's through the cross that his love is triumphant. And it is through the cross that you and I are made whole. He has led us through the difficulties and trials that he faced. And he looks to us to say, I ask you, to love the same and if you love the same in the same way and by my grace you too will be victorious glory to christ now and forever dare great things for christ share your feedback with father nathan send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org that's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.